0: And all of God's people said, "Amen, Lord." Somebody put this book in here. I don't know. Did one make an announcement? I think I already did last week. Antonin Scalia, Justice Antonin Scalia. It's probably one of the greatest minds in jurisprudence in our lifetime. And he served as an Associate Justice of the Supreme Court from 1986 to 2006 until he died. 16, forgive me, 2016. 30 years. In 2013, he was being interviewed by Jennifer Senior, who is a reporter for the New York magazine. During the interview, Jennifer asked Justice Scalia, do you believe in heaven and hell? He said, oh, of course I believe in heaven and hell, don't you? She said, no. (laughs) Oh, my, he said. And, And then he continued to explain to her why he believes in heaven and hell. And so she immediately tried to change the subject. But Scalia wouldn't. He whispered in a loud whisper. He said, I even believe in the devil. She said, you do? With a horrified look on her face. (laughs) He said, of course, he said, I do. He is a person. She asked him, have you seen evidence of the devil lately? (laughs) Scalia said, in the Gospels, you see the devil doing all sorts of things, like um, making pigs run off a cliff and possessing people. But that doesn't happen anymore. Why, she asked. Ah, because he's very smart. So, what is he doing now, she asked. What he's doing now is getting people not to believe in him or God. He said that way he's much more successful. Great wisdom from a great legal mind. I think C.S. Lewis would have said amen to that. <laughs> that great intellect, C.S. Lewis, wrote an introduction to his novel, and if you have ever read it, you need to read it. Um, He've written too many novel, no, n- novels, of course, but The Screwtape Letters is an amazing little book. And in effect, in that introduction, he said, there are two extremes. One is believing that the devil does not exist, and the other is excessive fear of the devil, especially for the believers. Both are equally erroneous. It is not surprising, therefore, my beloved friends, that the Bible tells us that one of the reasons why Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, the re- one of the reasons why Jesus came to our earth, is to destroy the works of the devil. I'm going to come to that in a minute. But we began an Advent series, in case you weren't here, uh, on why Jesus came from heaven. Why do we call Christmas the most wonderful time of the year? In fact, it's the most wonderful time ever, the, most gr- the greatest news, period. And we saw in the last message that Jesus came from heaven, according to the Word of God, to deliver us from sin and for, from the power of sin and from the wages of sin. And today we're going to see another reason why Jesus came from heaven, and I want you to turn with me please to first John as they say in England and Australia 1 John 1 John 38 1 John 38 if you have your phone or whatever the iPhone just type 1 John 38 it'll pop up And what I want to do I want to give you a home spun translation my translation my paraphrasing if you like because it's not really exact translation you ready he who habitually and without any qualms sins is of the devil because the devil is a sinner from the beginning Yet the purpose of why the Son of God appeared was so that He might destroy the works of the devil. I'm going to come to the text in a minute, but I want to tell you something that I read not long ago that just registered with me. It was right after the first Gulf War. Some of you remember that in the early 90s when 24 Nations Army went to Uh, Saudi Arabia, to liberate Kuwait from Saddam Hussein. After the first Gulf War, the military establishment approved a new official dictionary of military training. In it, they insisted that there are two words that must never be in that manual. Two words that must never be mentioned in the military training. And those two words are surrender and retreat. Say thus with me, surrender and retreat. I think Eisenhower would have liked this new technical dictionary because Eisenhower told the Allied forces on the eve of D-Day, and I quote, "'We will accept nothing less than full victory. Let us beseech the blessing of Almighty God.' upon this great and noble undertaking. Now, beloved, if this is the attitude of our military leaders, how much more should be the attitude of us who are living in this final church time, in these last days? I think most faithful people know that instinctively, that we are entering into the final battle of the last days, we're coming into the very last time, the very last days. And therefore, I am pleading with every believer who's watching me around the world or right here to remove from our dictionary any terminology of defeat. We must remove from our vocabulary the language of surrender. We must remove from our minds and our hearts the The language of retreat or giving up or surrendering to the pressure of culture. We must encourage one another to use the language of victory. Can I get an amen? Amen. Why? Why am I saying this? Because we are the children of victory. Because we are the soldiers of our victorious general. Because our commander in chief has already. Procured and secured our victory, and any temptation to surrender or to give up in the battle or retreat is handing over to the enemy of our soul the victory that Jesus has already procured in heaven and on the cross. So, a question: What does it mean when John said, "The Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil's works in the plural"? of the devil. It means that He came to eviscerate the devil, that He came to disarm the devil, that He came to remove the fangs from the old serpent, that He came to knock out the teeth from the roaring lion. And we will see in the next message how Jesus also came in order to prepare the final church, the last church, for its final triumph. In fact, next message is going to be one of my most important messages I've ever preached. If it's the last one, I would be happy. When the Apostle John, who leaned on Jesus' shoulder, was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to pin down these words, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil— He and the early church were facing one of the greatest challenges that the church, the early church, the first church ever faced. No, it was not the Roman persecution. They already have that. No, it was not the false accusations by the religious leaders. They already have that. No, it was not even the fact that they have been despised and rejected by society. They already experienced that. But none of these really threatens the church. Listen to me. None of these things threaten us. In fact, these things strengthen the church. Persecution strengthens the church. The rejection by the world strengthens the church. But their biggest and the most hideous and the most dangerous, insidious threat to the first church was coming from within the church. It was coming from false teachers and false preachers in the church. It was coming from false prophets in the church. It was coming from false Church hierarchy, one of the earliest and the deadliest threat to the early church, the first church, was a heresy known as Gnosticism. You see, the G is silent. The G is silent, but not in Greek. I still remember, my wife remember, I conjugate the verb ganus, 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 gene 50 years ago, because I'm not a linguist, so I had to memorize everything. <laughs> Knowledge. Knowledge. What did these Gnostics believe, and why were they such a huge threat to the church? And I'm telling you right now that we have come a full circle. Because the very first heresy that threatened the first church is now threatening the 21st century church, the last church. So, what these Gnostics, what are these false teachers who have invaded? the 21st century church, as well as the 1st century church, believe. Well, I'm glad you asked. I want you to fasten your seatbelt because I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version of it. The Gnostics were those who viewed themselves as more knowledgeable than the Bible itself. They viewed themselves more intellectual elite uh, of the church. They viewed themselves as those who know more and better than the Bible-believing disciples. Gnostics saw themselves as too sophisticated to believe all that stuff about Satan and evil. Gnostics saw themselves as to be above this fundamental biblical faith. Beloved, listen to me. That is why I personally believe with all my heart, and this is personal— that we have come full circle. The very falsehood that had threatened the first church is now threatening the 21st century church. The Gnostics of the first century are now pastors and and teachers and other professing churches all around us. The apostasy of the first century church is now running rampant in the last church. For I believe… That is who we are as a church. We are the last church before the return of Christ. Listen to me. Those of you who have heard me for 40 years know that is not something that I've talked about before or preached about before. But as I'm seeing the signs that I have never, never understood could even happen from the, in the scripture, as I see these signs happening, I am absolutely personally convinced that we are the last church. There isn't a week that passes by without hearing about a pastor who turned his back on the faith, without hearing of a music, Christian music, singer who turned his back on the faith or her back on the faith. Why? They feel that they know better. What was once a sin now is a lifestyle. What was once a heresy now is a fad. What was once a falsehood now is trending. Let me repeat what I often say to you. When I give you an opinion, I always tell you it's an opinion so you never confuse my opinion with the Word of God. Did you get that? You get that? I have never confused my views with the Word of God. And I hope you don't either. It is my personal conviction that the Lord is preparing His bride for the return of Christ. The Lord is purifying the church. The Lord is separating the remnant from the rest. Indeed, he is now separating the wheat from the chaff. Before our own eyes, he is now separating the sheep from the goats. Listen to me. Goats have always been in the sheep pen, always. (laughs) Uh, But they now are being separated. They're becoming clear. Some of the goats (laughs) used to look like sheep and try to talk like a sheep, try to sound like a sheep. But now they're not pretending anymore. We're going to see more about this in the next message. But for now, let's look at the text. Look at the text with me. Jesus came to do what? Okay, now, I think he got used to me talking. That You don't know how to talk. Jesus came from heaven to do what? Can you put it up on the screen for them so they can see it? Here again. Jesus came to do what? Beloved, the Bible makes it very clear, very clear, that Satan is the author of evil in the world. That Satan is the perpetrator of all the suffering in the world. That Satan is the sower of discord. And disunity and division in the world. Have you ever seen greater division in families? Are we seeing with our own eyes today? I have not. Satan is the one who is now blinding the eyes of men and women, boys and girls, to stop them from seeing the truth. And they bought into the lies of this culture. Satan is the instigator of sin that brought death. These and a whole lot more is what the Bible called the works of the devil. Beloved, listen to me. Satan knows that humanity was created. We were created in God's own image. And when God created us, He placed in our hearts, I'm talking about every human being in the face of the earth, every human being that ever lived, that were created with something inside of us that we have to believe in something, that we have to believe in someone. Of course, God's original intent in creation placed that in our hearts, that the original intent for us to believe in God. But because Satan knows that he cannot stop that desire uh, of believing, he provides them with false gods. He provides them. To believe in other things, and make no mistake about it. Listen to me: secular humanism is a religion. Universalism, which says the belief that now sixty percent of so-called evangelicals believe, that all the way always lead to God, all religions lead to God, that is a religion. Uh, that the so-called sexual revolution that they are imposing on our children, so-called sexual revolution, that is a religion. That atheism is a religion. Make no mistake about it. And do not ever forget that God calls Satan a liar and a father of lies. No wonder dictionaries now contemplating a new word. Post-truth. Post-truth. We are in post-truth time. It's your truth, my truth, his truth, everybody's truth. And, his. and, and the, how, how can you confuse people more than that? But Jesus came to do what? Come on, let me hear you. Jesus came to do what? Jesus came to reveal to us the devil's destructive work. He came to expose the devil's destructive modus operandi. Jesus came to unmask. Uh, his despicable and deceptive nature. Can I get an amen? amen? You see, you have to understand, I have often been asked that question. In fact, many years ago, somebody asked me the following question. If Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, then why in the world is so much suffering in the world? Why is Satan continues to operate freely in the world? Well great question. It really is a great question as long as people are willing to follow and obey the lies of Satan, he will have a hold over them. This is why you hear me often say, and I'll say it once again, Satan has no claim on the believer unless the believer hands him the keys. The tragedy is that there are so many professing Christians who live as if Jesus never came to destroy the works of the devil. Remember what Justice Scalia said. The devil is smart. The devil is smart. That's what the Bible said. You are not matched for the devil. You need to come to receive the power of God in order to overcome. Without the power of God, you are dead meat. And so am I. Let me show you how the devil works. I could stand here, honestly, from all the years of ministry and counseling and talking to people, I can give you dozens of examples. I want to give you just two that relate to us as families and and different uh, relationships in our family. This miserable character comes to a married couple who, as soon as they have an argument… Which is normal. Everybody does. Every married couple have an argument. If you don't have one in your home, I won't talk to you. In my home, because we are, yeah, I'm a pastor, we have to use sanctimonious language. We don't call it argument. We call it vigorous discussion. But if, as soon as the argument is not resolved biblically... I'm going to come to that in a minute. That's why the Bible said, don't let the sun go down on your anger. When the argument is not resolved quickly and biblically, the miserable devil is going to slither his way into the marriage, and he'll whisper, your spouse is not fair to you. Hello. Hello. You deserve better than this. You shouldn't put up with this. You deserve someone who really appreciates your superlative qualities. <laughs> yeah. Right. At that point, the Christian spouse has a choice, has a choice. He or she could say, "Devil, get lost." I will obey the Word of God. Or say, yeah, 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 thank you for the sympathy. Huh, you're right. A miserable creature then would say to the spouse, you know Snookums up there, you know, down there or next door or whatever that Snookums, wherever Snookums is, as my staff know that Snookums is everybody that I can't, I don't have a name for <laughs> You know that snookums always telling you how good you look? Ah, he will make you happy. She's going to make you happy. Let me tell you something. Nobody can make you happy. For 51 years, I love my wife with all my heart. She does not make me happy. Only Jesus makes me happy. Can I get an amen? Yes. God forbid that anyone makes you happy than Jesus. God forbid. And what happened in the end? The marriage dissolves. Why? Because a Christian said yes to Satan. And they swallowed his deception hook, line, and sinker. But remember, Jesus came, why? Or take a teenager, a son or daughter, who refuse their parents' discipline, and they think that their correction is just cramping their style. We've all been teenagers, and we know what that is like. At least I do, because I was a rebellious teenager. Satan would slither his way in, and he would say to the young man or the young woman, Your parents don't really understand you, do they? Are you sure your parents really love you? I think your parents just get a kick out of making your life miserable. You need to do something to hurt them and then look cool with your friends. Start drinking. Start experimenting a little. Get sexually active. At that point, the young person has a choice. They can tell Satan to buzz off and realize that he's lying through his teeth, or say, yeah, to his despicable, deceptive trick. Beloved, listen to me. I'm going to come back to that in the 10th on the 10th of January, I'm going to start a whole new series because this is the vision for the decades of passing the whole truth to the next generation. But I want to tell you something listen to me, parents. You know, I love you dearly. I'm a father and a grandfather. <laughs> but the home and the church is where all these thorny issues must be discussed. And the revealing of the enemy's dirty tricks and destructive nature must be openly discussed in the homes and in the churches. For if we go along with the works of the devil, instead of claiming the victory in Christ, that is already ours. It's already ours. We will wake up one day, in deep despair and destruction. Why? Because we said yes to the works of the devil that's already been destroyed by Jesus. Jesus came to do what? Now, I can go on and give you more examples, but it'll be a long, long day, long night, long day, <laughs> and long night. <laughs> we'll be here for a long time. But I think you understand what I'm trying to tell you. Talking about divisions, it's creating in the homes, creating between parents and children. Division that he's creating between men and women. The division that he's creating between the races. Make no mistake about it. I know who's behind all this racism stuff, all that hatred, is the devil himself. I really thank God for this loving church, I really do. If you were not loving, you would not have tolerated an African pastor. (laughs) Thank you for your love, and thank you for not giving the enemy a foothold in our church. Look at how he's creating divisions between believers, divisions between rich and poor, all simply because. We are blinded to the fact that on that first Christmas day, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. All simply because we do not exercise the victory that's already ours. They tell me that a good fisherman knows what kind of bait a certain fish, wherever they're working, fishing, likes. They know exactly what, 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 what appetite, to what bait. Now, you got to understand, I only fished once in my life, in 72 years. <laughs> the late Sam Ayub, some of you remember him, we named the chapel after him. I mean, he, those of you who remember him, remember him well. He, he, he just doesn't hear the word no. He showed up in my house with a ticket, airline ticket in his hand. He said, we're going to Canada fishing. I said, going where? He said, yes, I already got the ticket for you. So I went to Canada fishing with Sam. That's the only time in my life. I just want to show how much I loved him. <laughs> but, but I'm told at that point, Lake La Croix, I think it was called, that, 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 that these experts, people on the boats, these, these guides, know exactly what appetite, what bait, that the fish has for this big walleye. And by the way, I became a great fisherman because these guys basically know which bait to use and they put it on the hook and they hand you the rod. I mean, (laughs) you And and you're just like fishing in a ball. (laughs) I mean, we're just fishes coming out all the time. Listen to me. That would make Satan a great fisherman. He really, really is he knows exactly what bait that he puts on the hook for you and you and you and me? Some time ago, I read, and I'm going to mix metaphors. I know that, but I read that there is a sign hanging on the wall of Scott Air Force Base in Millville, Illinois. Big sign. It says, an untrained soldier is just a target. An untrained soldier is just a target. The devil, beloved, is forever going around looking for a target among the untrained soldiers of the cross. That's why the Apostle Paul said, of his devices, of his tricks, we are not ignorant. Ignorant. I wish we can say the same thing now. Tragically, many Christians take chances and become Satan's shooting practice target. I I, I read a humorous story years ago, and I don't know why I remembered as I was preparing this message. Uh, Years ago, I read this humorous story uh, about how some Christians play with fire, and then they hope it's not going to burn them. You know, they play with fire. It's like you're putting a snake in your pocket and say, Oh, don't bite me, please. <laughs> but I read this story about the early days of football in Texas. In the early 50s, the, Dal- the Dallas Texan team, as it was called back then, began their first attempt at professional football in the Lone Star State. They had a brief history, <laughs> one year. <laughs> they went 1 to 11. <laughs> the training camp was in Kitterville, Texas. Willie Garcia was their equipment manager. And he had one wooden leg. Now, we do, you don't see that very often now, but in the old days, and somebody had a leg ampere, had a wooden leg. Now, Garcia had one wooden leg. The first time the football bounced off the playing field into the tall grass next door, nobody wanted to go after the ball because there were a lot of snakes there. Garcia volunteered (laughs) to to reprieve the ball. Willingly, he said, I've got 50-50 chance (laughs) that the snake will go for the wrong foot. I just wonder how many Christians really ignore Satan's tempting ability, ignore his tempting ability, and they dash through the tall grass of life thinking that Satan may go for the wooden leg. But remember, Jesus came to what? Jesus came to destroy the effectiveness. Of envy and jealousy and lust and hatred and pride, Jesus came to destroy betrayal and fear of rejection. Jesus came to destroy all types of fears and anxiety. Jesus came to give us victorious life. Will you claiming today? Well, someone may ask, but how are we going to deal with others who might have been misled by? Satan, You know, beloved, we have biblical strategy. That's the great thing about our Scripture. It's got everything in it. I don't have to come up with an answer. Thank God. Biblical strategy here is very clear. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Let me repeat this. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Bless those who falsely accuse you. Love those who hate you. It's a simple strategy, isn't it? Oh, yeah, well, it's very hard to work out and very hard to live. I know that. On your own, of it is, with God's strength, you can. This, my beloved friends, will always undo the destructive works of the devil in others. The opposite, of course, is true. Every time you fall in Satan's traps, he tightens his grip which Jesus came to loosen. Every time you go against the Word of God, you are saying yes to Satan's works, and you're handing him the key. Here's a very important fact. Jesus did not come to restrain the devil. Jesus did not come to limit his power. Jesus did not come to neutralize the power of the devil. No, he came to do what? We saw in the last message, if we ever fall in the trap of thinking, oh, Jesus just came to teach us how to live, as we hear from our liberal friends, oh, He just came to teach us how to live. He didn't come to take us to heaven or deliver us from hell. If you ever fall for that deadly trap, (laughs) you are dead in the water. I can tell you that now. But every time Satan tempts you, you tell him, Baba, your days are numbered. <laughs> Baba, your time is up. Baba, your work's already been destroyed by my Jesus. And you, will, and you will have the victory that Jesus wants you to have. One more thing. The word destroy means to dissolve or loosen completely. And it's often used to describe a ship that has fallen apart into pieces. In other words, Jesus came to make a wreck out of Satan's power. He broke his chains asunder. He smashed his grip to smithereen. He destroyed hatred by his love. He destroyed lawlessness by his righteousness. He destroyed the power of death By His resurrection, He destroyed eternal death by offering us eternal life. Can I get an amen? Amen. And that is why Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Now, beloved, victory is not some elusive, uh, unattainable dream that preachers talk about. I think you can understand that I could not preach that I'm preaching now without having had first-hand experience with that miserable creature. It is not ethereal, elusive dream, an unattainable dream. Victory actually is ours when we refuse to open a door for the, or a window for any of the works of the devil. Now, Let me tell you this as I conclude. It's a true story that I love to tell. And it's about a missionary who was away from home for a few weeks. And then he came back home. And as he opened the door of his house, he discovered a huge python inside the house. How did it get there? He couldn't understand. So he ran back to his truck and he grabbed his 45 caliber pistol and went back to the house and he entered very slowly and very carefully then he aimed with precision and fired one single shot at the snake's head while it was mortal blow to this reptile it did not die instantly the missionary at that moment went out of the house, stayed outside, and listened as he heard noise of destruction of some of the furniture in his house as the snake began to thresh violently. The tremendous power of the snake's movement broke and damaged many items in his home. So, he waited until the noise subsided. And then again, very slowly and very carefully, he began to go inside the house to find the snake to be dead. But the interior of the house looked like a hurricane, or as they say in the Far East, a cyclone has come through the house. The snake unleashed its most... Violent fury in the last moment before its death. Now, let me tell you this as I conclude and prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. Can anyone doubt, can any spiritually minded, Bible believing Christian doubt that we are seeing this right now? That the enemy is, we're seeing his violent, fury before His death and being thrown into the lake of fire. How? They said lying now is a form of truth. Who would Jesus say the liar and the father of lies? The devil. He's succeeding. But because of the cross of Jesus' death, He dealt with Satan a vital A fatal blow in the head. Because now Satan is dying, and these are his dying days. And because now he is wreathing in pain of defeat, he is unleashing his last remaining destructive blows. But he can only affect those who try to nurse him, invite him in. He can only be effective for those who carelessly listen to his ugly voice. But to those who walk in the power of the cross, those who take cover in the blood of Jesus, they know that His fate is sealed, that His power is foiled, and that His work has been destroyed. Can I get an amen? Stand to your feet. As we prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table, I want you to consider this is your personal invitation to the altar of God. This is our invitation. And as you come down these aisles, I want you to affirm that victory that Jesus has given us. Affirm that victory that is yours because of what Jesus did on the cross. Father God, what a privileged people we are. We are not victims. We are victors. You have given us victory. when you hang on that cross… And then when you rose again on the third day, victoriously over the grave. And so, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus. I pray for each person here, each person watching, that we know, believe, affirm, and live that victory that is ours in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. 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 You can be seated now.